regular people all over the world or iconic rock stars, um, people are going through their dark nights of the soul and coming out the other side and realizing that there's something different on the other side. And, you know, it's one of the reasons I love teaching about influence. One of the reasons I wrote Mass Influence was that I wanted good people, everyday heroes to understand how easy it is to cause shift and change in the world when you simply understand how influence works. You know, influence, I, I like to describe it as a lot like breathing, right? You know, there was a time in your life where you thought breathing was hard. You, you know, you came out of this beautiful warm womb and um, your lungs hurt like heck and some idiot slapped you on the back and you cried. You got to accentuate the positive. Wow! I feel good. Welcome to ATP Radio. I'm your host, Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, showing you how to accentuate the positive, the way to a better life. Your radio station is an example of the future existing right now. Hello and welcome to another hour accentuating the positive. I'm your host, Karen Swain. I'm a teacher of deliberate creation, a channel and a medium, channeling wisdom from my guides and broader perspective whom I've called blissful beings. Here on Accentuate the Positive, you'll hear conversations with open hearts and inspired minds. It's my intent to put more love out through our media. It's so important to have a media diet that uplifts you, empowers you, and reminds you of who you really are, instead of a lot of the media that we get that puts you in fear. So this is why I present the show. I've got some wonderful guests lined up for you. Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. I have another extraordinary guest to introduce you to today. Her name is Teresa de Grobois. Beautiful French name. I hope I got it right. She is beautiful. <laughs> a best-selling author of a few books, one being Mass Influence. So we're going to talk all about Mass Influence today, specialising in topics of influence and success, word of mouth epidemics, and influence as a force of change rather than a path to money success, which is what I'm interested in because I, when I think of mass influence, I'm thinking about people wanting just to make a lot of money, but this is not this conversation. Welcome to the show, Teresa. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me, Karen. And look, Teresa is a mover and shaker. Pavel, one of my uh, friends who recommends people for the show, was raving about you and uh, he didn't actually even say put her on the show. He just said, I've just got to introduce you to this woman because she's amazing and she's just like you. And I'm thinking, how so? How is she just like me? And then I had a look, bit of look at your work and I didn't think you were anything like me because you're very corporate. You work with a lot of businesses in the corporate world, but... You bring a spiritual conversation to this idea of mass influence. How did you start on this journey? Wow, that's such a great question. You know, I think for me the start was where a lot of people start was with a massive breakdown in my life. Okay. You know, um, uh, you know I think the big turning point for me was when I affectionately had what I uh, or what I now affectionately call my really bad year, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um uh, 
you know, for me, what that looked like was the first six months of that year, I had my marriage had ended, my business at the time had failed. My health was in a complete and utter tailspin. Uh, my father had passed away. And, um, you know, essentially, my my life was just in an utter turmoil. Wow. Can and, I just say something? Uh, yeah. You sound exactly like Rhonda Byrne, who created an Australian producer of The Secret. Yeah, who you did know, The that, Secret. Yeah, yeah. I'm a huge fan of Rhonda's work. Yeah. So, it's amazing. So these traumas are such catalysts for people that go out there and make huge shifts and transformation, and I will, but please mm-hmm. go on. Well, and you know, I, I really do believe that breakthrough is, or breakdown is often the doorway to breakthrough. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, or another way of saying that is discomfort is the doorway to breakthrough. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so for me, I think the turmoil that I went through at that time was just such a gift because mm-hmm. I can remember that there was an actual moment when I, I'm sitting in my most or my post marriage breakup condo. Um, I'm actually, it's probably midnight. I'm sitting on the bathroom floor, um, surrounded by tools because I've always been a renovator and this bathroom is going to be my latest project, you know? And there's, I'm literally drenched in my own tears because the only thought in my mind is it's me that needs renovating. It's me. And that was such a beautiful moment because it was the moment I chose to take my life back. You know, I decided right then, right there that I was going to be my next project. I started doing every self-help course under the sun. I got a lot more serious about my yoga and my health and my meditation I, um, I really got intentional about what I was choosing in life and slowly, but steadily my life started to shift. And I think that was the beginning of some really profound change in my life. That is such an important point. I, you know, I've, I've had that moment, but I'd actually done all the self-help courses and still in my arrogance, I was still like, I know better than everybody else. And you just got to drop that story. <laughs> like, right? Isn't that the truth? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so continue with the story. What, you did some self-help courses. You were renovating yourself. And what happened? What, what did you start? Well, you know, the interesting thing when you go on that journey, you know, within a couple of years, my life was looking markedly different. You know, I had... Uh, left my great job in corporate Canada, you know, making the healthy six-figure income as a leader in Canada's oil and gas industry. I had started a charity uh, to help build schools in Africa. I had written three children's books to raise money for my charity, Uh, quickly put all three on the bestseller lists. Uh, That actually taught me two things really profoundly, very quickly. The first was that I really didn't like running a charity. (laughs) You know, I, I, I... Loved the idea of what the charity was doing, but the administration of the charity just really wasn't my thing. You know, the second thing I learned very quickly was I didn't like being a children's author. I love writing kids' stories, but going around to schools and doing kids' programs wasn't really lighting me up. Right. Mm. And at the same time, I had people coming at me in droves saying, holy cow, Teresa, three bestsellers in eight months. How did you do that? And would you show me how? And uh, I remember there was... Another one of those really awesome moments where I was sitting having a cup of tea with my dear friend, Dr. Shonda Perrin. You're probably familiar with her work too because she's one of the top communications trainers in North America. And and Sean's sitting there saying, honey, you know when the universe is sending you a flood of something you love, that's a good problem. And maybe you should pay attention. 
<laughs> and it was another one of those really sweet moments, you know, because I realized in that moment that what I really did love and what I was really gifted at was showing people how do you create word of mouth epidemics around what you're doing? How do you take that thing you're really passionate about and get everybody talking about it? And I rebranded myself overnight and I've never looked back since. My life has just been totally on fire. I think when you find that thing that really is your sweet spot, there's no turning back from it once you find it. Your sweet spot, that's so good. But this conversation of mass influence, success, entrepreneurs, all those names, words, they, I've, I've kind of indulged in all of them a lot over my life and seen a lot of people striving to be the successful entrepreneur and to create mass influence. And it's all driven predominantly by money success. You know, when I become successful and make a lot of money, then I'm going to be happy or I'm going to be fulfilled or... And I mm -hmm. think the conversation we're having and what I'm hearing from your story is that it stopped, you know, the self-inquiry was about you, but then the life purpose stopped being about you and started being about others. And yeah. how can I bring my talents and my gifts to help others? And who do I want to help? And why do I want to help them? And, and that was sort of more of the conversation that you were having rather than striving to be successful because I want to be successful so I feel good. Yeah, you know, and it's the sweet spot most people learn when they get truly successful in life, mm -hmm. which is the path to filling your personal needs. Focus on you is not the route to joy, not the route to success. Because inward focus, anytime you're turning inward, that's the route to pain and that's the route to suffering. When you turn outward, your own internal process becomes irrelevant. When you start focusing on how you serve others, when you start focusing on what you contribute to the world, everything that's going on inside becomes a lot less relevant and therefore your suffering, your pain, your backache, your worry that you're not good enough, your fear all of that diminishes markedly and life gets a lot more meaningful and a lot more joyful. Well, it does, but you have to focus inward first to find out why you want to, why you want to go out there. Like what you said just then yeah. was perfect. Last night, a friend has made this amazing documentary called A Quest for Heal, A Quest to Heal, about her 10-year journey following some people that were on a healing journey. And she asked me to be MC and I fell up the stairs yesterday and hurt my toe. So I'm hobbling to the theatre last night, right? And when I got there, I completely forgot about my toe and realised halfway through the, the night I had no pain. And that's what you were talking about because I wasn't focused on poor me anymore, I hurt my toe. I was yeah. focused on everyone I was meeting and being of service and the pain in my body completely disappeared. So yeah, that's the duality of life, right? Mm -hmm. When we make our lives about something bigger than us, mm -hmm. it's actually the most selfish act you could ever do because the bigger you make your life about, the more you make it about serving others, serving the community, the more your own inner pain and grief diminishes, the more your joy and your bliss is found, Absolutely. you know? So it's really, it's a profound irony in life. You know, a lot of the masters talk about that as a duality. It really is a duality. And sometimes noticing the dualities of life are where the sweet spots are. Yeah, absolutely. 
And then there's a lot of women that I know that are huge givers. You know, they're there for their families. And I loved watching your TED talk. You were talking about, you know, being an influencer. It's not just about influencing entrepreneurs and saving the world. It's about influencing your kids to stop texting over dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, mass influence is not just about the humanity. It's about influencing in your own life. Uh, which which I want to talk about because that's kind of what is going on in my life. I can influence other people, but I can't influence my daughter. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. that why you're doing it because I think that a lot of people know they're givers and they give, and then they get burnt out because they feel like they're giving, 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 but they've lost touch with the why. And that's the inward journey. That's the journey where you were on on the on the bathroom floor and the self help and. And I think that that journey is all about who am I? And I'm not the individual. I am actually, you know, part of the one. I am one. I am you. And so giving and receiving is one thing. And when you're really in touch with that, you don't get burnt out anymore when you're giving because the sweet spot, I love it when you say this, because it's your sweet spot because you have an understanding of who you are. And is that what you found? Absolutely. And that is actually the route to influence, you know, okay. and, and like when we really think about what influence is, right? Influence is when people know, like, and trust you well enough that they'll take action based on what you suggest. That's what influence is, right? And so, you know, there is positional influence in the world. Like if you're the CEO of a huge company, of course, the people who work for you will take action based on your word. But if it were, if it's true lasting influence, and I might call that mass influence, then they would also take action based on your word outside of the workplace where they don't have to take action based on your word, right? And so the first step to becoming truly highly influential is notice, is your influence, is your influence given to you by factor of your money or your position? In other words, it is possible to buy influence, but again, yeah. that influence is very ephemeral. It goes away the minute the money goes away Positional influence goes away the minute the position goes away. But true influence is lasting. When you think of individuals like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. or Gandhi who had lasting impacts on our society, their influence not only spanned globally, but it spanned down through the ages. It spanned forward into time. Talk about mass influence, right? Absolutely. So they're great examples of what we're talking about. When you can build that kind of trust, that that many people are just lining up to say, wow, how can I help you? What do you need? That's true mass influence. Mass influence is when a lot of people know, like, and trust you such that they will take action based on their word, your word. And that all stems from a very core principle of how much do you give to society? How much is your life about serving others? Mm. It is. I'm just thinking about those people that you mentioned, Martin Luther King, Gandhi, they came to the world with a message. I don't think that they were looking for success or influence and their message created the influence. And then there are people like pop stars who want to create mass influence because they want to sell a lot of, well, actually they usually get into it because they love music and it kind of drives them. And then some producer comes along, some record producer and says, oh my God, I can make so much money off you. And then they set out to create mass influence so that they can sell a lot of Uh, CDs or mp3s or concerts or whatever it's a completely different game it's a completely different intention too 
Yeah. Well, what? and there's a distinction between fame and influence, right? right. Like fame, fame is a lot of people know, know you and influence is a lot of people know, like, and trust you, right? Yeah, but fame, I'm watching my 20-year-old niece, you know, she, she paid $600 to go to a Justin Bieber concert. I'm like, and she's working, you know, yeah. she's working doing jobs she hates because she's studying and so money is precious to her and yet she would spend that much money to go, like, that is influence. <laughs> influence yeah. you know like, that interesting <laughs> yeah that's mad yeah. this guy came out to australia and i don't know how many hundred two hundred i don't know there were just hundreds of thousands of kids that flocked to his and they're paying mm. good money to oh i mean that's influence and they're wearing his mm. what's the deal with that like that is mass influence and i think that when people think about yeah. mass influence they think about that as opposed to the gandhis in the world yeah. Which I would think well, about. Well, you know, sometimes money and influence do get bundled together. Like some, sometimes it's hard to know where one stops and the other begins, right? But when you really think about the distinctions, it's not that money's bad. Money's more of a marker, right? Money is a placeholder for how much value do you add to the world, right? In a way, money is almost like the thing we use to measure the movement of goods and value around this planet. And so influence is one form of that. Influence is in and of itself a currency. And what the world responds to is different elements of influence. One of the things Justin Bieber has really going for him is he's very authentic. You know, and authenticity is a core foundational principle of influence. And, you know, there's a lot of different definitions of authenticity out there. Here's mine. Authenticity is simply your inside voice saying the same thing as your outside voice. You got it. In other words, your thoughts are in alignment with your words and actions, right? Because we've all experienced that scenario where we've got like the schmarmy salesman trying to sell us something that we know he knows we don't need, but they're still pressuring us. And, you know, we can see that disconnect in others in the same way others can see it in us, right? And so anytime you're not deeply passionate about what you're doing or you really don't believe in what you're doing, you run the risk of being inauthentic, right? And one of the reasons we see often phenoms in the music world, like Grace Vanderwall is a great example of the recent one, right? She won America's Got Talent last year, the little ukulele player who's oh, now yeah. a massive phenom. She's got a beautiful voice. But it's because we respond to authenticity. Yeah. In, in Justin Bieber's case, who also started as a child star, in Grace mm-hmm. Vanderwall's case, what you see was what you got. It was raw simplicity. And so we trusted them and fell in love with them because it was just someone who deeply loved their art, courageously standing in, let me give my art to the world. Exactly. And the world responds to that, right? The world responds to authenticity and the world responds to passion in a really big way. So one of the... um, one of the key routes to influence is actually do what you love, do what you're passionate about and be authentic about it because that really is a massive influence builder. Mm-hmm. Teresa, why do people come to you? Why do people want mass influence? I mean, it's not something that I've ever thought I've wanted because uh, there was something that you said, big does not equal harder when I was listening to you talk on one of your your website I think and I think that that's probably a thought that I have a lot of people have come to me with opportunity and I've said no because I think that running through my mind I'm thinking big equals harder Uh, more work more pressure more you know but 
why do people want to create mass influence? You know, I think modus vary, right? It's just as, as much as humanity varies. But uh, I must say your motives dictate how easy it is for you to be successful. So if you're wanting influence from an egotistical standpoint, I want the power, I want the fame, and you're pursuing influence for influence's sake itself, it's actually a lot harder to get there because the, the world doesn't resonate with people who are pursuing stuff just for the sake of pursuing it for their own egotistical ends. Whereas when you see people like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. or, um, or Nelson Mandela, you know, King pursued influence. He intentionally went after the media, but he pursued it as a means and a tool to achieve what he declared his life to be about, which was racial equality. Similarly, Nelson Mandela did something very similar, right? Where he, he did pursue the world stage. He did pursue having the attention of the world shine on them, but not because he was seeking to increase his own coffers or increase yeah. uh, his power for selfish reasons. He was seeking to increase his power for the good of his people. And, and the world resonates with that. You know, and so we're in, in fact, we're inspired by that because the reality is when you see good people, everyday heroes, mm. seeking influence is actually something we fear. It's not something we naturally do, right? In fact, most really good people have a lot of inner dialogue that is the very thing that stops them from seeking influence, right? When they really, you know, look at what's going on between your ears, there's a lot of like, I'm not worthy. I'm not good at speaking in public. Nobody's yeah. going to listen to me anyway. I'm not smart enough. I'm not educated enough. I'm not white enough. I'm not black enough. I'm not Hispanic enough. I'm, uh, I'm not enough. Yes. Right. And, and normal, regular, good people who would actually cause positive change in the world, stop themselves every day from doing so because their inner dialogue's running the show, right? And so when you meet people that have managed to step into leadership that you know are really, truly good people, the heroes of the world, it's actually that they've learned to kind of peace with their inner dialogue. In fact, often they've learned to use it and leverage it as a source of their own inner strength. But it's not that they don't have it. You know, if you read the journals of Dr. King, for example, you know, before he did his most famous speech that people tend to refer to as the I have a dream speech, mm -hmm. he prayed and meditated for three hours to overcome his inner demons so he could stand up there and do that. And in fact, if you watch that speech, the first 11 minutes of that speech are particularly unmemorable. <laughs> yeah. Very few people quote or remember anything he said in the first 11 minutes. And it's like a lot of people, right? There's this sort of, we got we to gotta get centered. We got to get it over our stage fright. Um, and not that it wasn't a beautiful speech. I mean, you know, certainly those first 11 minutes, anyone would look at and say that was an expertly and beautifully delivered speech. He was reading from his notes. Yeah. And, um, and it was a good speech. But then something magical happens at 11 minutes of well, that speech. He puts I, his notes down. He puts his notes down because he had a yeah. friend... To, um, mentoring him and saying well what do you really believe like forget yeah. the speech and he goes I've got a dream and the, and the guy said well say that and he said ah, oh, no I have to be professional and that's right he puts his he has that moment where he thinks darn with the professional and he starts to speak yeah I and, believe at 11 minutes was the end of the speech he had actually written right mm -hmm. and then he starts you know to I'm speak from his heart and the I have a dream speech actually yeah. started at 11 minutes. Yeah. 
And it's, it's moving. And, you know, if you ever get the chance, go back and watch that video if you're listening to this, because that's the moment that miracles happen because he steps in to his own possibility and the possibility that he's painting for the world. And, you know, nothing will destroy the impossible like a possibility, yeah. right? And so he takes on the impossible. He stands in this beautiful, shining possibility of, I have a dream. And in that moment, the world changes. Yeah. Well, it's changing anyway. We're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> this is where this conversation goes from, you know, success and, and entrepreneurial to spiritual because I think that the people that you're talking about, you know, Gandhi, Mandela and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., we're all really connected to the, to the oneness and um, the spiritual principles that I'm bringing with the show are, as Sherry Wilde said, who wrote the book The Forgotten Promise, that her guide said, if humanity knew that we were all one, society would change overnight, we're multidimensional and how to monitor our thoughts. So that's like being connected to the oneness of all things. You stop hurting people, you stop cheating, you stop lying when you realise you're only doing it to yourself and you reach out to help. I mean, that's where the spiritual conversation comes in. And I think that all those, those three people that you're talking about, that was really their drive. It wasn't to have mass influence or make a lot of money or be successful. Yeah. It was to create this unity within humanity and have more of a shared oneness and connection. And, um, you know, my conversation goes beyond that with the show. We talk about our multidimensional nature, which I like to talk about, and then monitoring your thoughts. And mm -hmm. that monitoring your thoughts is getting a handle on the negative ego that tells you that you're not good enough and so yada, yada, yada. But I think that when you come into the knowing of the oneness and that's driving you, the thoughts monitor themselves. The thought you get, they get out of the way. That's what I've found. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's wow. very true. And it's, it's so neat to watch that we're now living in an age where the spiritual and the business are coming together so yeah. powerfully, right? Like we have people like Warren Buffett, one of the richest men on the planet, talking about deeply um, humanistic and spiritual principles when you hear him give his speeches. Or like Ray Dalio, who's, a, you know, I think at one time was listed as the fourth wealthiest man in the U.S. I don't know if you've ever seen any of Ray Dalio's speeches, but he talks about meditation all the time when he's interviewed on Oprah and things like that. In fact, you know, one of the cool things that, you know, when you watch Ray Dalio give a speech, you get, this is a deeply connected spiritual man who happens to own one of the biggest investment firms in America. And one of the reasons he got to the level of leadership he's in is that he's very tuned in and very connected individual. You know, one of my favorite, I'm a huge fan of uh, Ray Dalio. One of my favorite things that he did was amidst the massive economic crisis when everyone was terrified of the deficit and the debt uh, and the de-escalation that was needing to happen by the central banks, Ray Dalio created a little YouTube video aimed at calming people's fears. And uh, the video is all around how um, understanding the long-term debt cycle and how we could have what he called a beautiful de-escalation of the currency. He was deeply criticized for using that word because that tends to cause recession. But it, the video basically said, you know, the central bank isn't idiots. And yeah, there's like a downward slide, but they're controlling the slide was basically what he was saying, right? So there won't be a crash at the bottom. They're controlling a downward and he called it a beautiful de-escalation. And we can all calm down because it'll all be fine. That was basically the gist of the video, right? So here's this fourth richest man in the U.S. 
basically coming out with a video that he didn't have to do other than that, you know, he probably wanted to make it for his own clients too, just to say, look, there's no need to panic right now. Yeah, we might be in for a tough few years. But the interesting impact that video had, because the video went viral, because it was the first time anybody really smart had ever been able to explain how money and currency and debt works in a way that the average person can understand. It was just a beautiful explanation, right? Mm -hmm. And it was such a service, that video, to not only Americans, but to people around the world that the video went viral. And, but that's an example of when somebody's really tuned in and they really get their own connection to self and their own connection to the world, I'm sure ultimately he probably got a lot of new investors and a lot of new business out of doing that video. But it was very clear in doing it that that wasn't his end goal. His end goal was simply to make this contribution that to have regular everyday people understand that Armageddon wasn't coming. Yeah. You know, and, and that is a contribution. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, the money story. Look, you know, when I look out into the money story, it's all just fabricated and made up. And uh, anyway, we're not going to go, we're not going to talk about the money story. Well, you know, money, money's a great thing to talk about though, right? Because money's really just a placeholder for like, we created it so we could see how value is transferred around the planet. But I like to think of influence as the first economy. It was the economy that existed here on planet Earth before we ever invented money. Yeah. Because people used to trade and influence. In fact, you know, you would see kings and queens marrying their children off in order to create bonds and relationships with other families because there was a currency of relationship that gave influence. And when you understand that it is relationships that give influence, then you start to get to twig to what this sport that we might call influence really looks like. I was having a conversation with, um, oh God, his name escapes me. It's terrible. It'll, I'll come back to me. He yeah, acted to produce, me all the time. Oh, I, know. I just spoke to him a few weeks ago. Actor, producer, gorgeous, uh, Michael Gorgian. There you go, Gorgian. And he, he's written this beautiful book and he was talking about, he was talking exactly what you were saying. He was talking about, our attention, how much attention we have is our currency. And, you know, when people, like we talked about the rock star, you know, when you have, when you have every teenager in the world's attention, then that is like this huge currency. So, yeah, it, it's, it's actually what people... Um, it's also an opportunity, right? Like we're starting to see now that men, there's many people, you know, in the rock star realm that are starting to use their fame to serve the world. Absolutely. Now, isn't that fascinating, right? And it, like, it's such an amazing opportunity. And when they do, here's the cool thing. It kickstarts a cycle of reciprocity. That's a term coined by Dr. Shonda Perrin, who I love her work, mm-hmm. but it kickstarts a cycle of reciprocity. But w- when you make your life about giving to the world, the world falls in love with you at such a deeper level, your own fame and your own influence increases, right? Look how many rock stars are bringing out videos against, you know, or, or not against, but videos for suicide prevention or videos to address um, domestic abuse or things like that. It's actually really inspiring and heartwarming to see how many of them are wading into the fray to help us really explore who we want to be as the people of planet earth right it's very Absolutely. cool and lady gaga is like one of those even mm-hmm. even madonna who who ruthlessly pursued success for the for success sake once she got it all and and then reinvented herself a million times then she started scratching her head thinking 
okay, now what? And, you know, what next? And she started going on a personal growth journey and writing children's books and wanting to sort of, (laughs) you know, be more than a rock star in the world. And Lady Gaga mm. went through that too, you know. She She's out there on the internet talking just about that fame and that money and that success and all that attention, the world's eyes upon you, didn't give her the fulfilment that she was looking for and, and in fact, mm. um, more or less destroys your life. I have to say, when I was young, people wanted to give me a lot of attention and I would run from it because there was something about having a lot of people looking at you that felt invasive and you didn't have your freedom and like there was something about it that just did not appeal to me at all and when I was young I, I scratched my head and think now why did I feel like that and I think that when I was young I had nothing to offer the world I had nothing to offer I was intelligent and creative and beautiful but I had nothing to offer the world and then through my own personal and spiritual journey I realized that having gone through that journey now I've got something to offer so now that's when, you know, influence is important rather because I've got something to say, I've got a message or I've got a journey that I can share with people. And a lot of the people that I speak to, you know, are going through that. They've had this amazing life journey. They've had spiritual awakenings, epiphanies, and they do want to get out there and share and create influence, but they're terrified, <laughs> absolutely yeah, terrified you know it's 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 beautiful and inspiring to watch though right uh, I actually believe we're living in the time that we're going to look back on in history as one of the most significant periods the human yeah. race has ever undergone because on sure. mass humanity is waking up and realizing that you know there's more to life than letting our egos run the show yeah. right which has been the state of humanity for the last countless millennium as you know and I know there's debate around how long mankind has been around but yeah this is a new era for mankind and it's neat to see whether it's regular people all over the world or iconic rock stars um, people are going through their dark nights of the soul Mm -hmm. and coming out the other side and realizing that there's something different on the other side and you know it's one of the reasons I love teaching about influence one of the reasons I wrote Mass Influence was that I wanted good people, everyday heroes, to understand how easy it is to cause shift and change in the world when you simply understand how influence works. You know, influence, I, I like to describe it, it's a lot like breathing. There was a time in your life where you thought breathing was hard. You, you know, you came out of this beautiful warm womb and um, your lungs hurt like heck and some idiot slapped you on the back and you cried And then you mastered the skill of breathing and by and large, you never thought about it again, except maybe in those moments where your best friend had to elbow you in the ribs and say, honey, breathe, (laughs) or, (laughs) or, you know, or maybe you learned Qigong or yoga or, or a martial art where breathing is an advanced skill, right? But by and large, you didn't go through your day thinking, oh, shoot me in the head. I've got to breathe 24 hours today. When am I going to find the time? right? And influence is a lot like that. When you learn how influence works and master the skills, there's a paradigm shift that happens that you can't ever believe you didn't know how to do this. It's just so simple and so downstream and so easy to continue building relationship. And it is all about reciprocity. You know, it's all in that basic principle that you can't make yourself famous or influential. You can only give influence to other people and they can give it back to you. And it really is that simple. 
Absolutely. Wow, that was so beautifully said. So beautifully said. I'd love you to repeat that. But yeah, it's really (laughs) it's really about people that are watching this or listening to that, go back and listen to what Teresa said just then. It was it's really about the story of we. It's it's getting over the story of me and Mm. and expanding and amplifying and growing the story of we. Uh, and and this is something that's been going through my head constantly lately. My guides have been the story, it's the story, the story of me, the story of me. And everywhere I go, I listen to people and they're saying, listen, listen to the story of me, the story of me. It's like when you're inside the story of me, people kind of listen for a bit and then switch off. <laughs> you know? And But when you're inside the story of we, people love talking about themselves. I find that people rarely know who I am because I don't talk about myself because I'm actually so interested in what the other person has to say and they say well tell me about you and I go oh yeah I'm good this is what I do but tell me and I kind of skip over it and I indulge in them because I'm actually really interested in who they are and I think that's the recipe isn't it I mean this is something that comes naturally to me but I think this is what you're teaching people it's true you actually epitomize influence so beautifully Karen because you know you're always giving it to other people you're you're interviewing all these people on your show um i'm tickled pink that you're putting me in front of your listeners and your viewers right that kickstarts reciprocity right and it's such a beautiful example of what influence looks like influence is nothing more than shining a spotlight on good people you admire and deserve it right and it's this doesn't have to be schmarmy you know you build relationship with people you truly like and admire you know I'm um I'm fortunate to be in a position where I you know I do get so many invitations to be interviewed in a month that um I I have to turn some of them down which is kind of cool because then I can get really intentional about okay I only come on the shows for people I really do love and admire I really resonate with what they teach well, I'm and, uh, are you kidding? I would, sh- and it's because I would shout your show on any day of the week. I love what you stand for. I love what you teach. I love who you are in the world, right? And I couldn't authentically do that if I had to hide the fact that I was on your show, right? Like, oh my god, I just went on a show and I hate the host. Like, I, you know, so business is like that, right? You can pick who you play with. You can pick who you work for. You can pick who you work with. You can pick who you sell to. You can pick who your suppliers are. You don't have to ever, ever play with someone you don't deeply respect and admire because you don't ever want to be in a position of having to endorse or praise someone you don't deeply respect and admire. There's loads of people out there you do respect. Play with them. That's so important what you just said because I don't do this show to make money. I don't make any money from it. And so like you, I pick and choose who I want to have on the show. And if I don't find someone interesting, I just say no (laughs) because it's not like I'm not, you know, subscribing to advertisers or to make you hit the bottom line or the shareholders. None of that exists and it's such freedom. It's such freedom. There's so much freedom in that. But the money thing, the money equation is not involved in in anything I do with the show. I mean, it's great if people support the show by donations. And Well, and money is more of an outcome, right? Like money is a good measure of whether or not what you're doing is truly adding value. Because when you are really authentic and you really stand in your passion, usually money's not an issue. Yeah, making money is so easy at that point. Whereas when you're inauthentic and and it's almost like you're pushing a boulder up a hill, like if you feel like you're pushing a boulder up a hill, 
It's probably because you're not standing in your passion and you're trying to do something you don't love and you're standing for a product or something you don't truly admire. So you're being inauthentic everywhere and therefore your life is hard. When you get in alignment with what you truly admire and love and respect, life is easy. Business is easy. Making money is easy at that point. Okay. So this is what you mean by bigger is not harder. Like bigger is not harder because that so resonated with me because I always think of bigger as harder but you're just yeah because it's like things are growing and it's naturally growing you're not pushing a boulder uphill so yeah it's just happening it's just happening it's just a consequence of passion and 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 a lot of people shy away from their own dreams because they're your dreams Ah, that's scary right because your dreams are bigger to you than they are to anyone else on the planet because they're your dreams right And there's no one more hardwired on this planet to live your dreams and be the contribution that you want to be on this planet than you, because you'll be the most passionate about it, the most authentic about it. That's actually where you'll find that life is easy, because when you step into your dreams and what you're really passionate about, that's where people will start coming at you in droves to try and support you, because people are attracted to passion and and, uh, and commitment, right? So notice if you find yourself saying things like someday when I, I will, mm-hmm. or why doesn't somebody just, that's a, that's a good one, right? Why doesn't somebody just solve this problem? Why doesn't somebody just help people in this particular scenario? That's it. You know, I dub you somebody, maybe that's your dream and you should go do it. That's it. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. You know, I, oh, I have so much to say, but you know, I started this whole journey. Well, psychics told me years ago that I would be um, a teacher. Actually, when I was 12, we had a nanny who read my palm and said I'd be a teacher. And to a 12-year-old who couldn't read or write, you know, do math because I was not an academic person, that was just scary. But I didn't understand what she meant. And then psychics kept telling me I'd be in front of people, but I was so disgustingly shy that I never thought any of that would come true because I didn't want to stand up in front of people because it was terrifying (laughs) but when I got in touch with the oneness of who we are and I realized I was just talking to myself I'm talking to whether it's 500 or one it's the same conversation it's the conversation in my head that's coming out of my mouth it's the conversation I have with myself is the conversation I'm having in front of a crowd, there's just a simplicity and an ease in it that just negates any fear or terror of public speaking. And because, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's 100 or 1, it's still you. We're all, yeah. it's still you. You're questioning mind. And, but Oprah is like the personification of what you're talking about. So yeah, she, really she did set out to be successful in that she thought success and fame would bring her happiness which is what most people do in life but at some point she became very entrenched in her spiritual journey and her question was to life or to god use me to serve you how can i serve Mm. you and that was her driving force the fame and the money became unimportant but the Mm. how can i serve you to her perception of God or the universe or humanity or the universe or the oneness, how can I serve you became her driving force. And, and she's a personification of what you're talking about really, isn't she? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. You know, and when you, when you really break it down and look at Oprah, you know, she's the epitome of 
how you give influence to get influence, right? When you even look at the format of her show, she used to interview sometimes 20, 30 people a show. Yeah. Right. And so she was always shining a spotlight on the genius and the brilliant work of other people. Well, of course they're going to go back and shout out Oprah Winfrey, right? Oh my God, I was on Oprah and, you know, share it all over the planet. Well, that kind of influence builds, right? The more people you give influence to, the more your own influence grows. Yeah, that's interesting because, you know, as someone who is making money from doing readings and um, webinars and teaching and not from the show, that was actually always a challenge for me. Shall I just not focus on other people and focus on myself and just put my teachings out into the world and not showcase everybody else, right? So that was always a conversation in the back of my head until I just felt into that and felt like, no, because I so enjoy other people and I so enjoy hearing what they have to say that it's such a part of my joy that that part of stopping the show just to sort of put my own teachings out there just seemed completely irrelevant. And, in fact, Mm. I never put my own teachings out there on the internet. I just love talking to other people (laughs) and hearing what they have to say because other people are fascinating. So I can imagine after this, you know, Teresa, that there are going to be a whole lot of new podcasts starting up. (laughs) Well, and great, right? Because, you know, your social media, your podcasts, they're not about you. They're about how you give influence to other people. They're almost like the apple pie. You bring the new neighbor when you want to meet the new neighbor. And so whenever you've got a means to give influence to other people, you become more influential. I mean, look at without even trying all of your teaching is seeping through here. You know, I love what you were talking about a minute ago about how fear is actually a selfish emotion, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Fear is inward looking. When you get out of your selfish emotion and make your life about serving others, there's just no space for your fear in that realm because you're not focusing inward. Looking for your Facebook page because I had a look at your Facebook page this morning and and what I noticed is that your Facebook page is exactly like your life. Everybody Mm -hmm. else has posted on it. And then there's only a couple of posts of you climbing mountains and Cypress Lake. <laughs> I was watching Cypress Lake this morning. <laughs> yeah. You're climbing a mountain in Canada and finding, is that lake up a mountain? Is it like that? One? It is. It's at the top of a mountain. Yeah. That one's been on my bucket list for a while. And I had the joy of climbing it with Barbara Whitman, which I don't know if you're familiar with Barbara Whitman's work, but she does vision quests. I love her teachings. Um, in fact, I'm going on a vision quest with her in a couple of weeks. So it was interesting because it was not only a hike, but it was a spiritual journey. So I, you know, I love when life gets serendipitous like that and you can combine many of your loves into one thing. Yeah, absolutely. Vision quests. Absolutely. Okay. So I want to address one of my fears and that is bigger means harder because my guides have been hounding me to do a lot more than I'm doing, right? And I think that that thought bigger means harder is stopping me. So you know, they've been saying put on uh, meetings again and have gatherings again because they're talking about, you know, when we gather together in a conscious group, how exponentially huge the energy is created and how that actually affects mass influence but on a very silent way, like when people come together a mass meditation and, you know, like and they just reminded me what Jesus said, you know, when when two or more are gathered in my name, my name being love, you know, Mm -hmm. how expansively influential that is just even in silent meditation so they've been hounding me to do it 
And I said, yeah. yes, yes, yes. And then a friend of mine rings me up and says, we're retiring. Do you want to take on this group? And I'm like, another message from the universe. How do you balance your life when you're so busy with everything? You know, I love that question because I love to say I live a, a perfect, uh, a balanced life of imbalance, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because my life does get crazy, very busy at times. But the interesting thing is when you really love what you do, And when you get intentional about designing your life, I'm really intentional about designing my life. You know, the next phase of my life, because I'm very aware of the gift it is to be able to lead the Evolutionary Business Council, because it's a community of people who are all about creating change in the world. Like Barbara Whitman's a member, Dr. Shonda Perrin's a member, you know, some of the great icons of our time are members of this community, which is awesome. And then, you know, a number of the members of the community, you know, we've all become such good friends that some of them were saying, well, wouldn't it be cool if we all had like a landing pad or a place to come home to? And a bunch of them started saying, you know, we should do something in Costa Rica where we had actually a permanent community down there. And I'm one of these people, well, if the universe whacks me over the head with something enough times, I start paying attention, right? And uh, so so we started looking at that. And now a group of us amongst the Evolutionary Business Council have been creating an intentional community for people who believe in living consciously and living sustainably and people who teach principles of uh, personal development. And um, so now I've been spending my winters in Costa Rica while we figure out how to build this community. And, um, and it's interesting because some people would think, well, wow, didn't she have enough on her plate? She added another project. That's the one way to argue this. The other way to argue this is, wow, I get to pick my neighbors. <laughs> right? I get to choose who I live with, right? And when you think about it, you know, it's true what a lot of people like Napoleon Hill or or Warren Buffett have taught about. You become like the people you most hang out with in life. So when we get really intentional about designing our lives right down to, okay, my next door neighbors aren't people who help me do my own work, who help me wade through the, the crap that's going on up here that I need to get rid of daily. Um, I'm actually going to intention that I create a community that's not only beautiful and breathtaking because I want to walk out the door and see the Pacific Ocean in the morning and live in the gorgeous mountains of Costa Rica, but I want to know that the people next door are people that are going to hold me to account to do my own work and support me on that journey, right? So it's, it's a lot more possible to design your own life than you think it might be, but it does require you to surrender and trust and lean in to what the universe is putting in front of you. It really does require you to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Surrender and trust and lean in all amazing words but yeah it's the surrender but sometimes the surrender even is the surrender of what you think you want I think I've heard Oprah say this what you think you want because and she would say God has an even better version of what you want an even better version it'll encompass everything that you dream of but it'll be bigger or better than what you could have ever imagined and you'll look back and you'll say oh my god how did that happen yeah so so you're going to live in Costa Rica yeah Yeah. you know I love what you just said too because I could never have envisioned this life 12 years ago yeah like it was so much bigger than anything that I, I ever could have thought that I would be a 
a number one international bestselling author with a book that's a bestseller in seven countries and traveling all over the world speaking on big stages and that I could actually create a whole community of emerging thought leaders in Costa Rica um, or have this like fun kick-ass life. I couldn't have imagined that. Like I could only imagine a little piece of that, you know? Yes. So it's so true that if you just kind of lean in and say, okay, God, this or something better. Um, and I love that. That's a Jennifer Huff quote Is it? Or, or something better very often shows up. Yeah. Yeah. I want to bring it back to the service too, because I think that we've just got to remember that. I don't know. I find that whenever I think, because I did, because you know, I teach law of attraction. So the conversation was very much about what do you want, and you can create your dreams, and you can create. And I had that conversation for a long time, and uh, it started to feel really stale because it, it was no longer about what I want for my life, and that I'm going to even, you know, even because I've actually had that. I've had the house that looks over the ocean, and I stare at the ocean every day. <clears throat> and I tell you what, it was bliss and it was sublime. But there was a moment there where I was so bored in my life, I felt like I was treading water and I felt like I should be doing something. Life brought me back into the city where I look out my window and I'm staring at somebody's toilet window. So I'm no longer looking at the ocean, but I'm actually engaged in a community and, and doing so much more than I ever did when I was sitting in my beautiful house looking at the ocean. Is this making sense? Mm, so the absolutely. conversation about what do I want? What's my perfect life look like? It was the conversation Anthony Robbins was teaching me, you know, years ago. What do you want? Success, you know, the beautiful. It seemed really stale. And the conversation about how can I contribute? How can I make a difference in the world? How can I help people make a difference in the world? That's what lights me up much more than the ocean view. I've got to say, I do miss my ocean view, but I do have the ocean down the hall. Well, you know, and I'm going to bet that the universe has plans for you to be able to do both. Yeah, you well, know? I do and have the ocean down the road. <laughs> you know, often that's what happens in life, right? Life comes full circle where sometimes we give up a certain element of our life so that we can take that next step. And then we realize, oh, wait a second, that one piece, I still miss it. And the universe still keeps you on that step forward, but gives you back that thing you gave up to get there. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, it's fascinating how that can happen. All those things that I wanted seemed irrelevant when you step inside purpose, yeah. purpose and passion. All those material things that I thought was so important just seem irrelevant now to me. It's, it's something that I've come to over the last couple of years and, it's been a huge shift. I don't know. It's been a huge shift. Mm. It's not that I would say no to them, but it's even relationship, you know, like I've had a couple of husbands and people are like, don't you want to get a, a boyfriend or get remarried? And it kind of all seems irrelevant compared mm. to, you know, how I make a difference in the world. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. Yeah. You know, because so people get all the worldly needs diminish when yeah. we stand and why we're really here. Yeah. Totally. You know? And, and you in fact, they again? find often, that again? often when they look at people who have self-healed themselves from cancer and ailments like that, it's because worldly ailments diminish when you stand in why the universe really put you here. You know? And, and so when you surrender to your life purpose and your life passion and you go on that great adventure that life is, life is a freaking adventure, you know? And the only 
ticket to ride that adventure is to give up any notion that you're the one in the driver's seat. There you go. That's the ticket to ride the adventure. When you think you're the one in the driver's seat and it's not the universe's plan for you, then, and I'm not saying give up planning or giving up good business sense or, or spend all your money. Like, I'm not saying don't be an idiot. Like, don't hear that in what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that maybe, just maybe, whatever you want to call it, God, spirit, higher intention, higher intention, universal intelligence, maybe that has a bigger plan for you. And when you surrender to that plan and use all your intelligence in the, in the service of that plan, use all of your planning, all your resources in service of that plan, maybe everything you ever thought you might have wanted is going to come to you incidentally anyway in addition to the great adventure and the happiness and the joy and the fulfillment that's available inside of all of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I've had a chat with someone about happiness and now we're talking about the principles of happiness and something someone said was, I can't remember who it was now, but you know, your experiences in life are so much more enjoyable than the stuff you have around you. Like a lot of people yeah. equate happiness to big houses and big cars and even, even the, you know, even the lover or um, the success in the business and the, the big building and all the stuff, right? But the adventures that you go on, like the actual adventures and, and like last night, for instance, was an adventure, just supporting a friend and her amazing film and she'd gathered these incredible change makers to come and see this film I mean that was an adventure that was such an adventure like the the adventures of life are more about the happiness than the than the, the mm. stuff and the success and um I, I, we're going to wrap it up soon but I just wanted another question I wanted to ask you was you know definition of success I think that a lot of people get confused with the definition of success what's your definition of success I think for me, success happens when you have what you want for the world Thank in you. your life. Can you say that again? <laughs> you, you keep success happens things, um, when you stickers. have what you want for the world in your life. Absolutely. So in other words, if you wish for a kinder, gentler world, or you wish for more prosperity in the world, when both of those things are happening, that your wish for your world and your life are one and the same, then you've achieved true success. Totally. So I just want to talk a little bit about your communities because you've got some amazing communities in your business. Tell us about what happens, you know, in your business and your communities that you've created, the people that you've got surrounding you. Yeah, well, I have to say... Um, it's my joy is the evolutionary business council, which is kind of the epitome of what I teach. You know, it's a community of like-minded individuals that are all teaching the principles of consciousness and success in some form. Boy, it's a humbling experience to actually, to be able to hold the context for what that family of individuals is. Cause they really, um, they really go to bat for each other and really support each other, which is amazing. And they do cool projects like creating a physical manifestation of that community in Costa Rica. So um, I have to say, for me, community is everything. Yeah. And when you get really intentional about what community you want to draw around you, that's actually where life gets really juicy and miraculous. Yeah. Your vibe attracts your tribe. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but you've got to find the vibe first. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, that's, as I said, I've had these epiphanies in the last few years and that vibe is shifting that focus and direction has attracted you, you know, first Pavel and then he keeps sending me people. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's, it's so fascinating how when you I just... I love like, Pavel Mikulowski. I can, I can be somewhere random on the planet and he will be in the same city. I'm like, how does that happen? Oh, really? <laughs> you know, it's like we, we'll, we'll be uh, each meeting with colleagues in Florida and there's Pavel. I'm like, wow. <laughs> so it's like, you know, the universe wants you to be friends with someone when. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I don't even know really what he does. I, I, I'm assuming his... He's like an agent for people, for speakers. Yeah, Pavel Mikulovsky uh, does PR and, um, and marketing for some of the most tuned in conscious people on the planet, actually. He's, he's worked with uh, a lot of icons in the industry, like the people who did What the Bleep or uh, um, Tom Shadiak, who, of course, um, is not only a multi, uh, many-time uh, movie maker, you know, Academy Award-winning director, but has done some really cool documentaries as well. So Pavel works, he's the genius behind a lot of those people, actually. Yeah, I have no idea so about yeah, Pavel. You've got really. Pavel, Pavel Mikulowski in your court, you're doing well. <laughs> I should be interviewing Pavel because he just keeps sending you should, me all these. Yeah, yeah, I should. But uh, Tom is just one of my favorite, totally in love with Tom. I, I interviewed him yeah, when he brought out that. Isn't he amazing? Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. About four or five years ago when he brought out I Am. And that conversation, it was when I was on radio, so it's not videoed, but it was hilarious because it was so flirty because I just thought, I just thought, thought he was hot as well as a genius. And so I was a bit sort of, you know, breathless when I was talking to him because I just was so in awe of him. <laughs> it's yeah. such a hilarious I don't blame you. Yeah. yeah. He's a great individual. It takes a lot to, to, you know, give up a $600 million fortune to charity and live in a trailer park. I mean, that's... Uh, that's a statement to humanity right there, right? Well, he had that epiphany. He was, he'd bought some mansions, 16 rooms or 18 rooms and 16 bathrooms, anyway, some mansion. Mm-hmm. And he was standing at the stop of this big staircase looking down after the movers had left. And he said, you know, having more of this stuff has not made me happier. And then he's like, had this like, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing buying all this crap? And he just sold it all, gave all his money away, moved into a trailer park, and now he's, yeah. So, I mean, he's just, he's, he's a walking, talking example of what we're discussing today. Um, but he's very open and honest that he was pursuing the success and the fame because that was what society taught us to do. And he was yeah. like, I was fulfilling the narrative, the the paradigm of what we're taught to do when we go to university and study hard and work hard and get a good job and get reach the top of your game and make lots of money and be very influential. He's actually- and, and don't hear in this conversation that wealth is bad. Like there's nothing wrong with wealth. It's just wealth for the sake of wealth is unfulfilling. That's right. You know? I- And, you know, and yet you look at people like Warren Buffett, like Warren Buffett's a great example. He's one of the wealthiest people on the planet. Brilliant man, huge contribution to society, gives away the bulk of his fortune. In fact, he started the pledge, but he still lives a very interesting life. You know, they say he has what they call the gift of simplicity. He still drives his really old truck that he loved and and lives in a very simple home for the level of wealth he has. Right. But that doesn't mean he has no decadence around him or no creature comforts, right? It's just more about notice what does bring you happy. Creature comforts and decadence aren't bad. Yeah. But sometimes 
a, uh, a 1,600 square foot house is just as decadent to you as a 20,000 square foot house. Totally. Where are you really happy? And is, you know, is the wealth serving you in the way you want it to serve you? It's, they're just great questions to ask, you know? Yeah. Tommy's a little bit was when I was interviewing him five years ago. He was a little bit down on money. It was a kind of, anyway, he might have changed that. But because uh, he'd seen so much in Hollywood, he'd seen so much corruption and you know over the whole money story so it was a little bit down but you know it is perspective like I live in a little place in Sydney compared to where I used to live when I was an hour out of Sydney with the views and everything but a friend of mine went to hospital and I was helping her out so I went to her home to just help her out in her home and she lived in this tiny little apartment down the road she's paying because I live in an expensive suburb she's paying top dollar and she has nothing in her house like she's just got and it just hit me like a brick that it just put everything into perspective because she doesn't complain about what she's got she's out there you know helping the world and it mm. just hit me that she's living with so little and it made me feel like I've got so much mm-hmm. and um, it was a beautiful lesson just that perspective of like really appreciating what you have and, and money's not good or bad like money has zero energy to it right it's mm-hmm. just a tool yeah, it's an energy. You know, it, it's sort of like saying, is a chainsaw good or bad? Well, if you use it to cut down a tree and build a beautiful piece of furniture, it might be a good thing. If you use it to make a Freddy Krueger movie, maybe not so much, <laughs> right? To destroy so, your husband's car. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? So, you know, money is the same. Money has zero energy to it. Money's just a thing, right? And so do you make your life about a thing, well, no, make your life about who you want to be for humanity. Who do you want to be for your family? Who do you want to be for your friends? Who do you want to be for yourself? That's just far more important than money. But that's, you know, money is not unimportant. So, you know, I don't want people to hear that in this conversation. Just here, it's not the end-all, be-all to what actually brings joy and success and happiness on this planet. So how can people connect to you, Teresa, and uh, learn more about your work and join your programs and stuff like that? Well, I would love it if people did my 30-day influence challenge because I think that, you know, if you really want to understand the basic principles of how influence really is as simple as breathing, I've got quick little daily exercises. They take like one to two minutes each that you do for 30 days. It's like build your muscle for being influential and when you get it, there'll just be a paradigm shift at the end of 30 days. You'll never go back to the way you were because you will just simply get it. So if you want to sign up for that, you can come to massinfluencethebook.com. You sign up for the 30-Day Influence Challenge. We'll also show you all the different links, iTunes, Amazon, where you can get the digital version of my book completely complimentary if you wish. We give away the digital version everywhere. If, if you want the... Um, the Audible or the hard copy, those are the only ones you have to buy. And, you know, I do that because for me, my mission is to help everyday heroes, everyday change agents learn how to cause positive shift in the world. So I really do want you to learn how your own influence is just waiting to be unleashed. So come do the 30-day influence challenge and have a look at my book. You'll find it's a lot simpler than you might ever imagine. Massinfluencethebook.com massinfluencethebook.com and I'd love you to come and and speak to our little tribe next year uh, the inner sanctum so we've got a little tribe of people that come online monthly webinars where we teach deliberate creation and I invite a guest speaker every month to come and there's it's about an hour and a half two hours and then 
they get to ask you questions and pick your brain and talk about, you know, talk about their fears and how to overcome their fears. Because a lot of people, as I said, in the tribe are change makers, difference makers, spiritual teachers, just people that have extraordinary life journeys that know that sharing their life journey will actually really help others. But they just a little bit, you know, they don't know how to do that. So we're like a support for the new old teachers and, and Will you do that? Will you come on next year? That'd I would love to. That would be a joy. That sounds like a blast. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been such a delight to talk with you. My pleasure, totally. Thank I you. I want to so come much. to Canada. I've never been to Canada, I think. Yeah, that. you've got to come visit us and come down to Costa Rica next winter and visit Vista Mundo. <laughs> when are you moving down there? Um, you know, I'm kind of a gypsy, so I'll probably be spending my winters and maybe a chunk of the summer there every year. It's actually beautiful all year. A lot of Texans and uh, and Southerners go there to escape the heat in the summer, and we Canadians go down there to escape the cold in the winter. Yeah. So our community will be running year-round, actually. And whereabouts are you in Canada? According to my income tax, based in Calgary, Canada, which is Calgary. in fact where I am right now, but I am... Um, I travel a lot, so I'm usually only here a few months of every year. Thank you again for coming on the show and blessings to you. Thank you for all that you do in the world, helping people help people, helping others help others. See you next time. Thank you, Karen, truly for the contribution you are. Thank you. Isn't Teresa beautiful? Amazing, amazing mover and shaker, that one. Change maker, incredible. I would suggest everyone go out and have a read of her book because, interestingly enough, when Pavel sent me her information, I watched her talk and I thought, oh, my God, she actually just talks about everything I do, but I don't do it as a way in which to teach people. It's just like innate within people who really want to help people help people. And I know that the people that watch the show are you're one of them you're a change maker you're a difference maker you're a light worker go out and have a look at Teresa's work and remember I say I tell myself every show to say this and I never subscribe to our YouTube channel (laughs) I always forget to tell people to subscribe so please if you like the show and you want to hear more from us subscribe to our iTunes or YouTube or you know, sign up to my newsletter for monthly updates. Thanks again for joining us. And remember, if you want to join our little Inner Sanctum group monthly webinars, just go to karenswain.com slash Inner Sanctum and you'll hear all about it or see all about it there. Our next teacher coming up in September is Frances Key, whose mother transitioned in 2010 and came to tell her about life, love and the universe. And she wrote four books called The Team, the team books, which are some of the most incredible spiritual books I've ever laid eyes on. So Francis is a wealth of knowledge. Join us and we'll see you next time. Thanks again. Bye for now. Clap along if you feel-